Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application for our lives. With that in mind... Since He has persevered with us, we can persevere. Since He is taking care of us, we can keep moving forward in the mission of the gospel. And there's a tension here, these tensions, you know, we always have to keep God's part and our part, and we have to maintain them. If it's only about our part, we'll become very rigid, and we're always wondering how good is good enough. But if it's only about God's part, we'll become complete flakes. Don't let your past failures or present limitations keep you from grabbing hold of the honor of being used in the kingdom of God. Jesus doesn't need our help. He wants our help, but He will only use people that completely surrender to Him. Free from self, free from pride, free from the snares of this world. Listen as Pastor Jim points out what the Word of God teaches over and over. True Christians persevere despite obstacles. It's one of the most important ways to stay in love with the Lord because you're relying on Him to get you through. Now let's open our Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, as we join Pastor Jim for part 3 of his message entitled, Joyful Fellowship. We'll have more information about the church and how you can get a copy of today's message. But for now, here's Pastor Jim. I knew that if I was going to have to, to serve God in the ministry, I was going to have to make some sacrifices. You see, they had fellowship in the gospel because of the gospel. They were in it together because of what Jesus had done for them. And this is one of the problems as Americans. When we read the Bible for ourselves, the Old Testament is written to who? The Jewish people. The New Testament is written to the churches largely. But when we only read it for ourselves, we miss the sanctification that the Lord has set up for us being parts of regular attenders at a church. People say, I don't like being told that I have to live for God more. That's part of your sanctification. I don't like this. I don't like that. That's part of your sanctification. See, it's not enough that we just agree. We could come in here and agree all the, all the stuff about this. I, I could just, I'll be every week. How about this? How about that? How about this? But we must do the work of the ministry together. It's not about agreeing together. It's about working together. And it's about understanding that the work is more important than any of our opinions. Remember I said we're under the ministry. We're under God's ministry. So our opinions are really not, really not that important. Now, some people have much more informed opinions, and I think that we should give more listening to informed opinions than just like, well, I think. Well, why do you think that? You know, one guy's like, I read 18 books on this from scholars. Another guy's like, well, I just was driving down the road, I thought. You know, okay, I understand. I'm probably gonna lean a little bit more on the guy who's, who's studied these issues and prayed through these issues. But it has to be where if church is going to, to make a difference in their world, and I'm not just talking about getting people from other churches. I'm talking about the people that you know and you love, and you know they're not going to heaven. You know they're not. And you say, I just want to make a difference in their lives. It won't happen unless, as Warren Buffett says, every one of us has skin in the game. We have to have skin in the game. We have to be willing to make costly sacrifices. We have to be willing to cooperate with one another. We have to be willing to have our opinions just be killed in so many instances 
because our service to God and service to the kingdom of God is just another expression of our faith. We have to love the things that God loves. We've set up our church here. If you're new to our church, we've set up, we have always have room for new servants as long as those who've been serving for years seek to move to lead. But if they don't seek to move to lead, then we end up with this cog in the wheel where we have so many servants, we don't have leaders, and everybody's looking at just a handful of people to make all the decisions. And they're quickly making decisions because they just got so many, they're like, people say, you feel like you're juggling a lot of things? That's not me. I'm the guy in the circus with the plates, you know, and I'm running to the plates, and I'm like, oh no, here they go, here they go, there they go. And I'm not focusing on one plate, other than the Bible. I, you know, getting to me in the morning's like, forget it, it's like raising the dead. You can't, you can't get to me, because I, that's when I study, but if only a few people are making all the decisions, because nobody else is involved in the serving and the work, you're not going to end up with a healthy church. So the leaders have to lead, not only in title, but in action. The problem is many American Christians are so tired of the American nightmare, sorry, the American dream, they're absolutely drowning in their Christian walk. Barely in it. Totally ineffective. But notice what Paul says about the Philippians at the end of verse five, that you were in it from the first day until now. You guys have been in it for the long haul. I get the feeling he's saying to them, don't give up. Keep pressing on. God sees, God knows. And the word of God teaches, despite what anybody wants to say, if you want to debate this with me, I'd be happy to have lunch with you, but you're going to pay for this one. The word of God teaches over and over again that true Christians persevere despite obstacles. And this is one of the most important ways to stay in love with the Lord. Those of you who've been married a long time, you know this. That so often it's the obstacles and the hard times that has kept you more in love than the good times. And the perseverance despite the obstacles is the evidence that you're a Christian. So why would the Apostle Paul be confident in their partnership in the gospel? That's why he's full of joy, because of their partnership in the gospel. But why is he confident that it's going to continue? Well, that's verse 6. Now, many of you know, we talk sometimes here about the happy calendars, where you have the calendars that only have the happy verses. We talked about that last week. Verse 6, probably one of the top 10 of the greatest happy calendar verses ever invented. All the publishers are so thankful for verse six. Being confident of this very thing that he, well, who's he? Well, it has to be God because he said he remembered, he prayed to God and thanked God when he remembered them in his prayers. Confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you, who's this letter to? A church, not an individual. This is to Timothy, individual. Titus, individual, to be read by pastors all throughout the ages, absolutely, and church people all throughout, leaders all throughout the ages, but this is to a church, so the you has got to be plural, being confident in this very thing that he who began a good work in you, Philippian church, will complete it or carry it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. This verse properly understood is absolutely amazing, not as an excuse for sin, not as an excuse for laziness. Sometimes people, they don't do something like, hey, you know, bro, what's up with that? Or, you know, husband, wife, kid, what are you doing? Hey, he's begun a good work in me. Yeah, just shut up, you know, I'm good. 
that's not what he's talking about here. The context is a church, and this is very important to see because when we take verses in isolation, we have to be very, very careful in how we use them. The context is, the application for us today is that from the first day until now, the grace of God and the hand of the Lord has been on the Philippian church. That's what he's talking about. The Lord's promise is that he has been at work in the people of God and he will continue at work in the people of God until the day of Jesus Christ, seven weeks we spent in Mark 13 about the second coming of Jesus. What does that mean for us as a church? That no matter how bad it gets, that no matter how bad it seems, we, like the Philippians, will be preserved by God. Now you say, well, a lot of churches close. They do. When they're not pressing on in gospel work, a lot of churches die, even though there's plenty of people going to them. Why do they die? They're not moving forward. They're not moving on in gospel work. Why do we go out and do an outreach and take time out of a Sunday afternoon to go set ourselves up in a, in a booth where people tell us we're a bunch of weird religious fanatics? because we're pushing forward gospel work. We're announcing the good news. We're telling people what, what God has done. And sometimes some people from those outreaches end up praying with us or, or coming to church or going somewhere else or something like that. It's not about our church. It's about Christ's work. And as a church, this is important for us to remember. For, for nine plus years, God has preserved our church. God has persevered with us. And since he has persevered with us, we can persevere. Since he is taking care of us, we can keep moving forward in the mission of the gospel. And there's a tension here, these tensions, you know, we always have to keep God's part and our part, and we have to maintain them. If it's only about our part, we'll become very rigid, and we're always wondering how good is good enough. But if it's only about God's part, we'll become complete flakes. Oh, it's the Lord. Oh, it's the Lord. You know, imagine we don't pay the power bill. We're like, you know, oh, you know, God says, you know, give money to his work. And, you know, that, that's one of the signs, of, that's one of the things of worship. And we tell everybody, well, give if you're led. And nobody felt led. Power company calls up, you know, you, got, you owe us money. We can't turn on the air conditioning. We can't turn on the, the lights. We go, oh, it's all the Lord. You know, like, like what are you kidding? Where's the straitjacket? <laughs> That's just crazy. So there's our part and there's God's part. We must maintain it. And you see that in the letter here. At the beginning, first two verses, he thanked God for his faithfulness. Then in verse five, he's thanking them for their faithfulness. And now what's he doing in verse six? He's thanking God again for his faithfulness. But let's be honest. For our part, not doing our part, right? Being selfish is not doing our part, is it? Being half-hearted is not doing our part, is it? You say, why do you talk to us like this? Because I don't want you to die and meet God and have him say, to you, you know, you were kind of half-hearted. I don't want you to live a lukewarm Christianity and five years from now, and I still have people who used to be here five years ago calling me and because their life is torched. I mean, it is torched. They were, they were half-hearted, they were lukewarm, and then eventually things got hard and they fell away, and now they're in a place where they never thought they would end up. Never thought they would end up. But you know what? When they sat here, there was no talking to them about it because they thought that they were beyond it. 
Being half-hearted is not, not doing our part. Being, being passive and calling it humility is not doing our part. Being passive and saying, well, I'm just, I'm just submitting. That is not doing our part. Quitting is not doing our part. You know, today, there's people that were here really early this morning and they served you, right, by, by getting the church ready and getting everything ready so, so this service could come in and worship God and, and experience a nice church day. And so what are they expected to do after they get their tax done? What are they expected to do? They're expected to love people. And so maybe you didn't help with that today. Don't feel guilty. You're expected to love people twice as much because you weren't serving in a practical way. You're serving now in a way of just loving people. Sometimes you come into this place, you see a smiling face, it might be the first one you've seen all week because this world is miserable. It's absolutely miserable. You know, Jesus was very clear in John 15. He says, you know, without me, you can do nothing. Without him, we can do nothing of eternal value. And obviously, he doesn't need us to do anything. But for some odd reason, he's chosen to want to do things with us. To want to accomplish the moving forward of the good news in this world. And let's just say it on the front end for what it is. You are going to get out there and you are going to give it a good shot, and you are going to fail. And nobody is going to fail more than me. But I will not let my own personal feelings about myself and my own personal failure stop me from grabbing a hold of the honor of being used in the kingdom of God. You know, people come and they say all the time, well, you know, I hear what God wants, I hear God's law, and I, and I know I can't do it. You're right, you can't. But it's not to beat you up to teach you that, it's to put you on your knees so you ask God for help. It's to put you on your knees to realize that you're a sinner and you realize the costly love that was poured out on the cross for you and you look up and you say, I can't believe you did this for me. And then you simply say, I will spend my life not trying to gain your approval. I will spend my life serving you because I have your approval. I'm going to spend my life not trying to get your love. I'm going to spend my life serving you because I have your love. How do I know? Because while I was still a sinner, you died for me. You can serve God forever like that, friends. Failure just shows us how much we need the Holy Spirit. Failure shows us how much we need grace. But pressing on is your confirmation that God is at work and in, in your life and in the life of a church. So the context of Philippians 1.6 is that the good work that God began in Philippi goes like this. He saved individuals. He established a church. And then that church was about the work of teaching unbelieving people about the good news of Jesus Christ. So ultimately, it's a good work that he's talking about of salvation that began by grace. But it's also a good work of putting the people of God to work. To work for the gospel and the good news. But what's happened with Philippians 1.6? We've taken it out of context and what is it it produced? It's produced a bunch of cowboy Christians. And you know, if you come and work at a church for a week, just one week, that's all you need. 
you will see that one of the biggest enemies of the mission of the gospel is cowboy Christians. People getting involved in areas where there's already people that have been, have been working on it. You know what, do you ever do a project and somebody comes in and tries to help you and they just muck it up? It happens all the time with cowboy Christians. You know, you, you got little kids, they're like, Daddy, can I help you? You're like, oh, it's gonna be 19 times as long now, but it'll be fun. Well, cowboy Christians are not fun. They're not cute because they're not living the life that God has prescribed for the people. Not under submission to any individual people, in submission to the authority of God's vehicle on earth, the church. Philippians 1.6 is about the people of God getting on the same page, working together with each role being important for the kingdom of God and the glory of Jesus Christ. Today in the church, we talk about sanctification almost exclusively in the area of sexual purity, and we should. However, here, this is a sanctification of unity. Paul's saying, you guys, God has been working with you to fight this fight together. You gotta continue. You gotta continue. One, one reason we have to continue, there's almost nobody doing it. There's almost nobody doing it. When is the last time you were outside a church and somebody told you about Jesus. I mean, I came out of one of the drugstores in, in Denville, and these guys were, were there, and they were raising money for a, for a Christian drug rehab place. And I listened to them telling people about God, and then I said to them, um, we need to take a break, because <laughs> you guys don't understand the gospel, do you? And, and they said, yes, we do. It's about us telling people not to take drugs. See, there's a lot of good causes out there, but this is about the cause of the gospel. Well, quickly, verse seven, the apostle Paul becomes pastor Paul. He says, just as it is right for me to think or to feel this way for you all because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. What does that mean? He's saying, I love you guys because whether I'm in jail or whether I'm out preaching, you supported me. You didn't pull the, because some people go like, okay, he's not, he's not doing what we, we sent him out to do. We're gonna, pull the, we're gonna pull the support. That's not what they did. He says, you are all partakers with me of grace, for God is my witness how greatly I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. So this congregation brought the apostle Paul joy. Jesus poured his life out. The apostle Paul saw it, and he began to pour his life out for Jesus. And he met the Philippians. And then they began to pour their life out for people and to support the apostle, giving their lives for the cause of Christ. And so here the apostle Paul is commending them for a team effort in helping him and serving God and preaching the good news. So what does it look like in Philippi? People with no money giving money. People with no ministry experience seeking to be trained up and mentored in ministry. People stepping out in faith, leading, knowing that they're gonna get killed in the process. People doing physical work, helping the church, helping, helping other people, all for the spread of the gospel. Simple things, greeting people with a smile, praying for people, helping, teaching kids, loving in the name of Jesus, all in the hope that God takes a broken, broken world and fixes it. Quite simply, the Apostle Paul missed them. He missed them. 
I mean, I can just imagine when his friends would come to see him and say, you know, when you get out, what are you going to do? And he's like, well, well, you know, give me the report. What's going on in the churches? Well, Corinth, you know, those guys. Oh, yeah, those guys. Philippi, oh, yeah. Yeah, I want to go see them. He just missed them. That's the feeling some of you get when you can't wait for Wednesday Bible study. You e- email me during the week. You text me. Why isn't Bible study on Tuesday? <laughs> or maybe you just can't wait for your community group to take place. Or you're so excited about Sunday morning service. The Philippian church had told people that they were followers of Jesus. Any church can do that. But they also showed them that they were followers because the grace of God was at work in them. And as we often say around here, you can tell God is at work when God's people are at work with joy and with excellence. And so just like the Philippians, us, you know, we really need to be careful. We really need to, and none more than me, we really need to assess our service to God. Does our service look like an evidence of grace to other people? Or does it look like some, some proud heart? Does it look like a loveless service Does it look like a dead obligation? That's why we have to pray for one another. That's why we have to serve one another. After we get into the next section, one of the deepest prayers I love in the Bible, we have to love and care for one another. We have to get this expression out of our mouth. Well, the church should blank. We're the church. We're all the church. The call shouldn't be that we shouldn't get notifications. You know, you should do this and you should do that. It should be, is anybody else doing this? Because if not, I want to I spearhead it. Or is anybody else doing this? If it's happening, I want to be involved. That's the kind of church that the Philippians were. But it gets tired when maybe there was just a few Philippians now participating because others were becoming lukewarm. Others were beginning to let other people do the work. Without a doubt, Salvation is 100% from God for sinners, no doubt. But God didn't save us to be complacent. God didn't save us to be lazy. God didn't save us to be independent. And if we are any of those things, we need a renewed vision of the cross. We need a renewed vision of what it cost Jesus Christ to buy our salvation and our sanctification and ultimately our glorification It's good to get together. I love it to hear it when people are getting together. But what binds us together as the people of God in the family of God is the gospel of God. What Jesus Christ has done. It's the good news that God has provided a way to be reconciled to himself and how amazing he did it, being sacrificed on a cross. And all we have to do is grab it by faith. 2 Corinthians 5.17, very popular verse, says, Therefore, if anyone, anyone, remember, the worse you are, probably the better chance you have of getting in because you'll want to come to Jesus because you realize how bad you are. The good people, they struggle with it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This is about being made new. Could you imagine being in Philippi? You come into church and you're like, remember we said this last week? And like, aren't you the demon-possessed chick who was telling fortunes down by the waterfront and having to look at you and say, I was, but I'm new. I've been made new. Don't you want to be new? Don't you want to be different? Aren't you tired of the brokenness? 
aren't you tired of the dysfunction? Aren't you tired about living for yourself day after day after day and realizing the more you do it, the less satisfied you are and the more selfish you're becoming? So this is about you. If you've never trusted in Christ, today you can. But it's also about, for some of us, coming back to the place of joyful fellowship with God and with the church that he gave his life for. Thank you for listening to Changed by Love Radio, the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. We are excited that you joined us today, and we hope and pray that you will join us again next time as we continue to learn more about Jesus verse by verse in the book of Philippians. If you would like a copy of today's message on CD, simply contact us at Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills at 973-659-3380. Keep in mind that we need today's date to ensure you get the copy of the correct teaching. You can also write us at Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Or send an email to info at changedbyloveradio.com. Don't worry if you haven't been able to write that information down. Simply log on to www.changedbyloveradio.com. There you'll find all the information to listen to this message again or receive your own copy. You can also give securely to help Changed by Love Radio share the good news of Jesus Christ. In the next edition of Changed by Love, Pastor Jim will continue teaching through the book of Philippians. Glance at the clock right now, and please make plans to join us next time here on Changed by Love.